Eugene. Welcome to another epic episode of the Bookstabber podcast. She it's is a beautiful she, day. It's a, <laughs> I was going to introduce you. <laughs> it is a beautiful day. Well, sorry. I We're already talking over each other. All right, go ahead. I was going to say, she is Willow Payne, author of The Haunted Skull and other things. And she also draws library comic. And he is Gene Ambom. A uh, gorilla wrestler, uh, <laughs> gorilla wrestler, hunter of men. Why? Why, <laughs> yeah. why, why, why the hell would I wrestle gorillas? What kind of suicidal maniac would I have to be? <laughs> I, I had my, uh, I had my writing group over for dinner last night, and um, the writing group I joined when I was, I think, nineteen, way back, way back in the day. Probably. Oh, I just thought of this. It kind of hurts. Right around the time you were born, <laughs> and and uh, and one of them talked about. Uh, some old woman being eaten by a alligator in Florida. Does this happen often as someone who lives in Florida? I wouldn't say often, no. I think most people here know better than to screw with the gator. Oh. But uh, <laughs> it's it, it 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 happens to some extent. Like, you like know. adults? Adults? I mean, I, I, I've heard of kids being snatched before, but I'd never heard of a of an adult. Much less. Oh, I think more more than anything, it's a it's a drunk, you know, man between the ages of eighteen and fifty. Oh my god! And and how generally are they taken? Are they are they just lying out, just daring the gators to come up and get them, or or what, what's happening? I mean, if you're if you see a gator, if if it, I think I think one of a couple things is possible. One is that you are near a body of water and you don't perceive a gator because they can hide pretty well, and it comes out and it attacks you, uh, which is not impossible. Although gator attack gators don't like attacking people. That's not one of their. It's like with sharks, you know, sharks sharks aren't after people right, by default. Right, right. But no, I think more often than not, gators attack people when they're provoked and people provoke them when they see a gator and they're like, whoa, a gator. I wonder how close I can get. Oh, and no. I wonder if I make a loud sound. And I saw those Yeah, people, people are dumb. I saw those people wrestling a gator at that place I paid to go into. Maybe I could do it myself, drunk as I am. Like that kind of thing? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, it was a it was a horrible story. And uh, <laughs> it goes right into the horror novel we read for this week's Bookstabber, which is uh, The Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix, who is probably best known for uh, two other books, neither of which I've read. The Southern uh, Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, which got a lot of traction uh, back in the day, and Horror Store, which is uh, kind of about a big box store, an Ikea-like store that is haunted um, and seemed like a lot of fun. Uh, I have read one of Grady's books before, or at least thumbed through it, Paperbacks from Hell, which is kind of a, um, a guide or a history of, of uh, horror paperbacks uh, from, from, I don't remember, the 70s and 80s maybe, mostly. Uh, really fun to flip through for the covers. Uh, and I have a copy of My Best Friend's Exorcism, his other novel, uh, on my shelf to read, which looks like an old VHS tape, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, <clears throat> but but we read this one, The Final Girl Support Group, which is his most recent book. And um, do you want to give a pitch for it? <laughs> a very brief pitch? I'm, uh, a spoiler-free sure. pitch? Sure. I'm, okay. I'm, really su- I'm actually really surprised to hear that this author is a buff on horror because 
from this book, I I honestly would not have thought that. Well, wait, wait, wait. Um, that, that is not a pitch. That is not a pitch, ma'am. Come on. No, I'm not. Okay. Here's, <laughs> all right, everyone. Get ready for the world's greatest pitch for the Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix. Oh, and it's, it's worth saying that, that we're going to talk about this book uh, and we're going to spoil it. And if you don't want to hear that, uh, please don't listen anymore. Here we go. <laughs> so give us the pitch. All right. Give us the Hollywood <clears throat> pitch. The Hollywood pitch. Uh, every great slasher movie you've ever seen is actually based on a true story and at the heart of all of those true stories is a real was a real teenage girl who survived a horrific butchering presumably in her hometown what happened to all of those girls well they formed a support group not only did they form a support group uh it's you know like 30 years later they're all late 40s early 50s and uh they're not doing very well. Uh, specifically, our protagonist, Lynette Tarkington, is extremely not doing well. And she's about to do a lot worse when someone is hunting down the final girl support group in bookstores near you. That was great. How, how's that? That was great. That was fantastic. That's your best pitch ever. <laughs> I'm, yeah, but what, what you're not hearing in that pitch is my contempt. Well, contempt, contempt it's... maybe, but but a solid, a solid, very brief book talk. Um Right, the, and, and and here's the the thing. I I, I want to like this book. I really do. I want that to be an earnest. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that because the book has a great pitch. Um, it does. No, I that is also where I feel like like I think the premise of this book is solid. It's a great writing prompt for your local community college class. And I don't mean that disparagingly. Like it's actually a, a good pitch. It's a good premise. It, it already i'm sure those of you at home who have not read this book you're imagining like oh okay so it's a meta slasher story sure sure i can see where that goes well let me tell you you can't see where this one goes <laughs> well you can because you, you, it's you, you trade into the toilet you can very qu- quickly see where it goes i think um uh... well it goes nowhere fast for about <laughs> well it's it, I, mean, I, I mean i mean i so Lynette is our point of view character and she's in the support group and she's very clearly observing everyone else. So she's kind of interesting in that sense. And there's, there's six members of the support group in total, including her. And we know there's some other final girl out there who they, who they think betrayed them somehow, which we, who we see later on with really weird. And, and then there's the, the doctor, Dr. Carol and, and they're all, are they in the group? No, 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 no. They have a they have a well, they have a group meeting. Then they go. The, the group seems to be kind of breaking up. People don't want to come anymore. Lynette can see the end of the group coming. She goes home in this incredibly circuitous route because she is just completely paranoid about about basically a sequel happening about about a killer her killer coming after her again or or a super fan or somebody else. And so she takes this series of buses and kind of dodges and goes to the airport and comes home and, and it takes her like four hours to get home and it's it's kind of brutal but kind of interesting i was kind of in board then she goes to her apartment which she which is this fortified spot i'm still on board um and and when did you stop being on board well just out of curiosity well so, so she goes into her house which she is outfitted with this cage inside the door that nobody can break into really and it's it, it's pretty cool and i was and very paranoid and i was like okay all right all right and then she turns on cnn and that's when she sees that what's what's the woman's name one of the women who we don't actually see a Adrian? Adrian Butler? Right. I don't think we never actually meet Adrian, even though she's a very important character to this story. Right. She, she's one of the key uh, she's, she's one of the key final girls, right? 
Well, she's the in 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 the fiction of this universe where where all of these super uh, super murder events happen. Uh, we're, we're never really given a good name for it. In but she is the first final girl. She is the victim of this first an, an extremely sort of cartoonishly evil serial killer uh, butchers all of these kids at a at a camp. It's it's definitely a reference to um, Michael Myers and. Um, no, not Michael Myers. Is that did, Friday the Thirteenth? No, because did Myers Jason Voorhees? Voorhees, Voorhees. Yeah, yeah. Friday the Thirteenth. Okay. Yeah. I I get those I get those franchises confused a little bit, right? But it's the one that starts at a summer camp. Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is probably the first horror movie I I saw. So I was like, oh, that's kind of kind of interesting. Okay. So somebody has gone back there and killed a bunch of camp counselors again, and and Adrian, who had turned that camp into uh, some kind of a shelter for people who had suffered violence it was very strange like like she had kind of taken control of her whole franchise her whole movie franchise and we find this out kind of in the course of the book the book is laid out very skillfully i want to say like like the way all this information I comes at disagreed. you well, I disagreed well disagree extremely I, I i really admired it and it, it, it's very like the prose is very readable but but I'll, I'll talk about what i think is missing for me anyway as a reader uh in a minute because I, I this book didn't hit with me but um but so adrian is dead uh lynette sees that on cnn starts to kind of flip out and then one of the other final girls julia who is in a wheelchair i, I don't remember who julia's killer was do you know what julia's story was i could never keep it straight uh yeah and th well this is one of the things that the book doesn't present very well but so julia as i remember she is a reference to the scream franchise oh right 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 the ghost the ghost that's right Right, and and so, uh, and, and so she, she uh, has her spinal column uh, injured on her second on what is called her sequel, the second time that one of her friends goes crazy and decides to kill uh, the group or whatever. Is she the one who's in, in a reference to Scream Two? Is she the one who's uh, the high school boyfriend tried to kill everybody? Or the high school boyfriend and his friends. Yes. Okay. All right. Right. Yeah. So, so, so Julia, like nobody's supposed to know where Lynette lives. So Lynette's freaking out. Lynette talks to her plant. Her plant is her only friend. Her plant's name is Fine. Lynette suddenly, like somebody knocks on her door, which is super weird, freaks her out. She looks out of uh, the, the video monitor and sees that it's Lynette and the ghost, her killer, has a knife to her throat. They're demanding to be let in or Lynette will be, or Julia, Julia's killer to Julia's throat. And if, if the door isn't opened, Julia will be killed and and in short order the door is opened uh we find out the ghost is this writer guy fake uh julia's just trying to get into the house lynette tries to shoot him uh but the cage that she's built there saves him uh he pisses himself it's it's a little funny they come in start talking to to lynette uh, lynette's kind of freaking out i can't remember why julia came did she come because she was also freaking out a little bit is that correct no, she came because um, I, I think only because of the the writer wants to write a book and wants to co-write it with Lynette and Julia, I believe. Yeah, but but but, but, but Lynette already knew that, and uh, so yeah. right. But she wasn't. But Lynette wasn't responding to the guy, so they showed up at her apartment. Well, they they, they show up like it's kind of this whole scene. Like Lynette is freaking out. They well, think someone is is targeting the final girls now. Uh, because, it, well, actually, actually, I guess that happens after somebody starts shooting through her window, her uh, unfortified window, uh, and hits Julia and the guy in the ghost costume, whose name is Russ. 
doesn't matter doesn't matter he's not important for the rest of the whole book well he, he, he's only important in that he was going to get her to write a book with him and she wrote it herself right and that book ends up out there in the world with a lot of the information on everybody in the support group and the book is called you guessed it the final girl support group uh and it's very critical of everyone and it's just full of shit talking and uh yeah so then lynette starts running because somebody's been shot in her apartment she i can't remember she doesn't she leaves her plant behind but her plant kind of makes its way back to her i don't know it's 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 a bit insane i think we need to i think we need to slow down so if we if we describe literally every painstaking detail of the book we'll be here for 20 hours well well, well, the the only reason i'm describing a lot of the, the only reason i'm describing it this far is is this like i think that when she takes off like when she starts running and feels like she's in danger and it's very clear that she is in danger you have to feel something for her and I felt nothing. <laughs> I felt nothing yeah. through this whole book. And I, right. And it's it. You know, like it, it's not enough just to say, uh, "Woman in woman in jeopardy." I mean, you know, um, she's extremely unpleasant. She's very hard to care about. Right. For, for a variety. It's, of reasons. So there's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff to unpack about this. Uh, I think because. This is pretty early in the novel when this when all this danger starts happening and and our main character is running away from this danger. I think it's already broken s- several sort of cardinal sins with regard to because it is trying to be a slasher story. It is trying to be a slasher movie in novel form, which is an interesting idea and I and I fully support it. But one of the things that it has failed to do is it hasn't established our cast of characters almost at all. The only character that we know at all by this point is the narrator, the the first person narrator, Lynette Tarkington. And what we know now about her by this point is that she's probably an unreliable narrator because she like as she's running away from this scene, she's imagining her houseplant yelling after her uh, and she doesn't really know what's actually happening. She's just sort of hearing various sounds in the apartment that she's fleeing. So there's a lot going on there. Um, but we don't know who the killer is. We also don't have anything interesting with which to identify the killer as. If we were watching an actual horror movie, there's a couple of things different that would be happening. One of the major things is that we wouldn't have a first-person narrator. We wouldn't be looking through the eyeballs of a singular character. Uh, in In a horror movie, and most movies really, you have a third person omniscient narrator, which is a camera. And the nice thing about a camera in a slasher movie is that a character can go off into the woods to have a pee and get murdered, and we, the audience, are able to see it. Every There's a lot of things that happen in this book that we, as the audience, never get to see because we can only see the world through Lynette's eyes, and Lynette is actually not there for 90% of the things that are interesting and related to the plot. Well, I, th- I, think, I think that's if you want to see it as a, as a slasher movie, which, which is, I, I, think, I think that would be okay, but I think it's trying to be a critique of slasher movies while being a slasher movie, and it, that just doesn't work for me. Do you know what I mean? Uh, <clears throat> I don't disagree with that, yes. It, it, but you just said it is tr- while trying to be a slasher movie, and, and I'm listing the reasons why that is a... It, it, I, and here's the thing. You can write a third-person omniscient book lots of people have done it (laughs) i see no reason why you couldn't write a a book in which maybe we have a very small chapter where the third person omniscient narrator describes adrian getting murdered and you know the the idea of uh, a group of people being hunted down by by a mysterious entity who you know is tied to all of them 
for some reason. This is not a new idea. This author did not invent this. This is like, I mean, what I'm describing is the plot of the Scream movies, but it's also like the plot of Watchmen. It's the plot of dozens of noir stories. Sure, sure. Like this is this is a a, a well trodden story skeleton, and I don't say that as a bad thing. It's it's a good it's a good structure. There's a reason that that, that these are not random killings or. Well, I, I, but but and, but I, I, I think I think um, Hendrix is trying to make us sympathize with with Lynette. It, like he has to be because if not, there's no point in putting us in her head, right? And the unreliable narrator thing, I, I believe that's true. Like like I I agree. I agree that he that the author is trying to get us to relate to Lynette, and for the reasons you also don't like Lynette, I don't like Lynette. She is extremely unlikable as a, as a main character. What we know about her by this point in the novel is that she is rightfully paranoid of basically everything because one time she was almost brutally murdered and her whole family was brutally murdered and she never wants to go through anything like that again, which it's unfortunate because the novel doesn't actually present that information correctly. Like we have to get like, like through the halfway mark of this book before we even get a description of her backstory uh, which is not uninteresting uh she is a uh, her whole character thing is a is a parody of i want to say black christmas uh there's a there's a like a million si- christmas silent night movies. deadly night like i remember yeah i i can't remember which uh i well i think in in the book her her movie is called sleigh bells which is like <laughs> s-l-a-y right is am, or is that an actual one i, I can't I, I, I can't remember well and, and that's the thing i just stopped doing that about about a quarter of the way through this because i was like well that's freddy krueger and that's you, you know but you're like okay right. like, like i can't keep seeing that because it doesn't help because those movies are i think that's one of the I think that's one of the only interesting things. That's, that's literally one of the only things I like about the book is being able to recognize. Like one of the characters has a is part of the franchise uh, Panhandle Meat Hook, which I think is a great name. And it's and you you pick up like oh this is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that's fun. I I have fun seeing that. I I admit it's not it's not a complex intelligent series of ideas. It is just connecting two dots together well i think i think i think it's a super interesting it's a super interesting attempt to make something literary like out of out of the hash that is all these different uh movie franchises right i mean it's an attempt to kind of bring that to a mainstream fiction reading crowd and make them feel good about reading it for their book club right like like i admire the attempt but well but at the same time i don't know that i wouldn't call this book literary like it is a book it is it is a piece of literature by definition Mm -hmm. but it is not literary fiction it's not like you you i don't think anyone would read this and put it on their shelf next to uh Gabriel Garcia Marquez, right? <laughs> well, well, but these books, these books of of Grady Hendrix's, don't end up in the horror section, for the most part. I mean, they do some places, but mostly they end up in the mainstream fiction section, which is very interesting about them. Now, I don't know about the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. I don't know what the shot of that is, but like, like I've seen horror stories just in the mainstream fiction section next to like Haruki Murakami books. You, you know what I mean? Like, like it's it's pretty strange. I've seen uh, my best friend's exorcism right. there. Like, like, like that's where these books are are placed. That's how they're placed, and they get they get placement. Like, I did see this book everywhere on the fiction shelves, and in a world where there's you know only a few independent bookstores left in Seattle, and two out of three places I went to I saw this book, which is why I wanted to read it with you. 
you know, I, I kind of I kind of wonder what's up. Like, how do you get something that looks like it's genre, but is not placed with the genre? I'm always interested in those those like uh, science fiction and fantasy novels that kind of escape the genre confines as well to some extent. Um, well, I think the I think the world that we live in, both for booksellers and library, like I think part of the problem is that in the year 2022 the landscape of books and the categorization of such like it you said it correctly that this book is a critique of of slashers but it does also it is also a slasher in many ways i wouldn't say this is written more tactfully it isn't written better than one of the christopher pike uh, books that i read when i was 11 that was intended for a you know a teenage audience well, what, what do you mean what do you mean more ta- uh, more tactfully what do you mean more tactfully what, what do you mean by that well i you're you're right that that's not the correct adjective because it's it's not written more skillfully it is not um it's not hemingway it's not great literature like i i, I, I disagree <laughs> i disagree to a large extent those pike novels were incredibly clumsy and and formulaic and this this tries its tries to avoid that stuff and i think it succeeds uh to a large extent in avoiding it and it's you know i mean like like i i can see an argument that well you just weren't reading it closely enough because you know all the stuff about all these different characters is in there to the extent that lynette knows them and it's like a really good point of view novel and okay fair enough i i just it just doesn't it just doesn't work but as she as she flees i think this book is i think this book is extremely clumsy on multiple uh, like (laughs) <laughs> See, I, I, I disagree with that. I, I think it's I think it's not clumsy at all. I, I think there's I think there's great skill that went into this. I think there's there's uh, I think there's some really good structuring. But I this isn't a gotcha. This isn't a bit. But I do have a, a couple of scenes that I would like you to try to explain to me because oh I, I'm genuinely perplexed about them. <laughs> well, well, well. So the stru- structure of the book is then she runs to Doctor Carroll, meets her sons, buys a comic book from one. Gets the older son to drive her somewhere, right? So she gets the real right. hard drive from her computer. That's kind of when we start to find out that she's written this book. It's on her hard drive, and then we find out it's out there in the in the world somewhere. Um, I can't remember what what happens in in short order. But this is, this gets back to the unreliable narrator situation. I think at this point, uh, by that point in the novel, her book actually isn't out there. But she's afraid that the book is out there because that's the only thing that makes sense in her mind, her unreliable narrator mind, that would give anyone the ability to be hunting down the final girls and, and killing them. Right. Which at this point, you know, one of them is dead and uh, Julia has been attacked. And by extension, Lynette has also been attacked, but Lynette succeeded at ev- evading the attack, which, uh, you know, th- this is something that I, that did frustrate me and, and I understand it, but I found it frustrating. The idea that, um, Lynette is correct in that the final girl support group is being hunted down, but pretty much the entire book consists of people saying, what do you mean the final girl support group is being hunted down? You're crazy. I totally agree. That's a crazy thing to say. What do you, what do you mean that all of us who have been attacked by an actual like super villain level murderer, some of whom are actually magical. What do you mean that all of whom have been victimized in our, when we were like 16 years old? Yep. That we're now being attacked again in a world that has been hostile to us and has super villain characters that go around killing people indiscriminately. Well, well and, that's and, and I Lynette. Think, I think you're crazy. Yeah, I mean that's very problematic. The doctor treats her like she's like kind of like not not serious, right? Like uh, like every each of the other girls treats her like she's not serious. Although, 
as things kind of mount up, it becomes, she gets more traction, but they really have to mount up. Like, I mean, somebody burns down, like there's a woman, Heather, who I think is, is, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street kind of girl. Like she, but she's kind of homeless. Yes. Um, yes. Heather, Heather, it it was targeted by the, and this is, this is one of the things that actually, I, I don't like. So I think it's cool that this character is a reference to Nightmare on Elm Street and her killer is a kind of bootleg Freddy Krueger. Right, right. That's fun. However, they give us almost no details on how the hell that works. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. They they give us absolutely nothing to to chew on with that, and that frustrates me to no end. We get the backstory on Lynette and the sleigh bells. We get we get backstory, and not a lot of backstory, but we get enough backstory. We get we get it we get backstory on Julia and her scream. Right. We get a little bit on um, the panhandle meat hook. Uh, what is her name? Uh, Maria. Uh, she, she's the one who's Mar- rich. Marilyn. Marilyn. She's the one who's rich now, right? Uh, and and there's a couple of them that we get no details on whatsoever. Like, um, what was Danny's whole thing? Do you remember that one? Um, so D- Danny's thing is Halloween. Okay, but d- see, I I don't remember that being told to us at any. No, point. no, no. It, it's in there. Uh, so Danny's the one who looks like Bruce Springsteen. Uh, so Dan, it's D A N I. And so Danny, um, Danny was babysitting. I think her brother escaped from an institution and then and then Danny oh the cops shot him and then Danny was taken to the hospital and then he came there and killed a bunch of people at the hospital and she killed him at the hospital and now she's been arrested because there's some allegation that her brother didn't actually do the killing so she killed an innocent man she's been taken into jail and uh Danny's partner Michelle is actually dying of cancer so one of the one of the weird errands that uh Lynette and a few others go on this is the this is the scene that confuses me maybe more than anything in this entire book. Well, it's an it's an attempt to it's an attempt to have Lynette do something that's like unequivocally uh, like morally correct, right? And so and it's it's clumsy as but hell. But why Well, okay, no. So th- this is what I don't understand. So there's a this is still fairly early in the book, maybe like a third of the way through. Yeah. But so our our protagonist Lynette has got two of the final girls with her they're in a car together i think she's got, got she's heather. got heather and and stephanie does she have stephanie by then or no 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 stephanie's way later we haven't gotten to stephanie yet okay. we, we've got heather and we got marilyn they oh, okay. they are together i don't understand what the thing was that motivated them because they they've heard they're trying to figure out where all the other final girls are mm-hmm. sure that makes sense they know that danny who we have very little information on by this point is is in jail this this is one of the things that happened is that adrian's dead Danny's in jail, accused of a crime that she did not commit. Probably. We don't actually know that, but we have it on good faith that all the final girls are probably good. Right. At least that, so, but they're like, okay, Danny's in jail. Her wife is in hospice care. We know this. So we're going to go to her hospice mm-hmm. and we're going to take the wife out of hospice. Oh, and, and don't forget, there's also that in the air. But there, why? There's, uh, <laughs> there's a thing that Lynette... There's the idea that Lynette fucked her uh, her killer, like the the person who killed her family, and that she told right. Him, but that's no, 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 I no. I don't see that as being important at this point. No, in no, story, no, it totally right? is because because uh, they're after her. Like this southern cop who uh, we find out later, Lynette had an affair with. Like Lynette's dad was the sheriff, and he was a deputy, and then he became sheriff, and he's really well. A, I I well, I appreciate that that is a, a detail that is important to Lynette's story in general, but. 
I, I'm just talking about no, no, why no, 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 are no, they no. picking up this poor woman out of hospice care? Well, well, because they get there and it's disgusting, right? Because this woman's dying in hospice care. And, and like, I just think, like, well, okay, yeah, hospice care doesn't look great. But, yeah, what, what the fuck are you doing? Like, But, this, but what happens... This is going so to be the most swearing does, podcast. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me that they take her out of hospice care to begin with. It doesn't. But, but that, okay. So they agree, they somehow all agree, even though Marilyn and Heather say this is a bad idea, but, but somehow Lynette talks them in. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The, none of these people even like each other. This is it. Of our three characters at this point, Marilyn, right. Heather, and Lynette, none of them like each other. None of them get along. They're all, they're arguing the whole time. Well, I would say, somehow, I, I would say, I would say Marilyn and Heather like each other because when Lynette gets to Marilyn's house, Heather's there, and Heather's Heather's halfway house is burned down, and Heather goes to Marilyn for help, and and so there's some relationship there at least, right? I well, but like, but helping each other is not the same thing as liking each sure, other. Sure, sure, sure. This is all right. So I I just want to I just want to get through this part okay, because sorry, this sorry. part is is important to me. It may not be important to anyone else. I don't even think it was important to the author, but it's important to me. So they successfully through some through some hijinks they get this poor dying woman out of the hospice into i believe Marilyn's car right and she shits herself i don't remember this <laughs> this happens is that is that she she shits herself and they have to like change her diaper because you know she can't take care of herself she's literally dying she's got she's got cancer she's doing terribly she is she is minutes away from death she shits herself in the car uh, they they pull over. They change her diaper. Lynette's terrified that this is the moment when someone's going to come murder them because they're in the middle of nowhere on the side of the road. They change this woman's diaper. They get her back in the car. They keep driving. I don't remember where they're driving to. I'm sure they're finding another final girl, or they're or oh no, I remember now because they're trying to find Danny and uh, did we say Michelle was the wife's name? Yes, correct. They're 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 trying to remember where this where this woman's actual home is they know that she oh, lives right. on a ranch that's somewhere. right that's right that's and right. and none of them know the address so they're driving around hoping that maybe one of them will remember or intuit where this ranch is they're trying to get michelle to say where the ranch is what the address is so they can find but it michelle's barely but she's conscious, dying and right. she's mumbling right she's not conscious she's not lucid she can't say it she dies in the car no, she just, no, 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 no. She, she just dies, gives up she, the dies, ghost. she dies in the park. They, they get her out of the car and they go, oh, look, you're, here you're at your ranch. But, <laughs> well, okay, but why? Okay, right. So they, they go to a park. She dies there at the park and then they leave her there. They they literally abandon her corpse at a public park. Right, right. And, and then... And, and then they just get back in the car. No, no, and no, no, just... no, 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 no. That's why I brought the thing up about Lynette being hunted now. Because the police want her for questioning. Because uh, Heather turns her in. And that brings that whole scene to a close. And then Lynette has to figure out some way to get away from the cops. But why was that scene there to begin with? Well, well, like, I, this I, is I, what I, I don't understand. I, I told you, I think it's there. Because you because have you ever heard the uh, the cat rescue kind of theory of, of in screenplays? Yeah, Save the Cat. Yeah, Save the written Cat. Written by the guy who only ever wrote one movie that nobody liked. Well, well but it happens a lot. It happens like, like in a lot of... Films. Sure, and and I think this. I mean, in different versions, it's not always a cat, right? And 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 uh, what the idea is that you have a character who's unsympathetic do one kind thing, and then that character gets sympathy from the audience, and that's enough in a lot of cases to to boost the ratings of a movie because people identify with the character. And I think th- I get that. And I think this is an at- attempt to do that. Like this is this is Lynette in some weird messed up way trying to do the like out to do the right thing at all costs and it kind of costs her like she gets taken in by the cops and so 
because because uh, it cuts from from uh, her doing the right thing to betrayal in her mind right away by Heather, right? Uh, who called the cops and is like, you're not even a real final girl. You didn't kill your monster. We find out this is part of Lynette's, uh, of, of what, what happened to Lynette. Like she didn't kill the, the person who killed her family. Um, but but like, I, th- I think it's supposed to create sympathy for us. I think that's why that's there. You know, I think that's why that's why Michelle exists in this. Uh, I mean, if that if that is the reason that the author wrote this, not it's not a short scene. No, it's a lot. Uh, this whole exchange of abducting a dying woman, shitting herself, and then being and then dying in the middle of a public park. Like you gotta really stop and ask yourself, like what what is this book actually about? Because as I I truly believe, like this this should be cut from the book just for <laughs> clarity and brevity purposes. Like it, it is not, I, yeah. I, I can understand where you're coming from, but if, if, if the goal was to use this to show that Lynette has some good insider, it fails spectacularly. I, I think what's really interesting it, is like, is like the plot of like you're being chased and you have to survive is so, it's so basic and it's so it can be done so well right like that first season yeah. of the battle floor galactica remake is just them being chased uh there's a book by chester the terminator the terminator there's a book by chester hines i think that's called uh it's called run or something like that and it's so good it's just this guy who's in the wrong place at the wrong time and somebody starts chasing him and he has to survive and it's it's fantastic yeah, by the time by the time we're recording this uh prey just came out on hulu and everyone is loves it and you know, I just I just binged all of the Predator movies for funsies and like, yeah, you know, no, the idea of you are a victim who is uh, uh, in being pursued by a more powerful evil force, whether it be a, a guy with a knife or a robot or any any number of evil, you know, individuals like it's a yeah, it's a great premise. Did, it's a great did you way love, did you to love create drama. Did I love it? Um, I think I need to rewatch it. I liked it okay, but I honestly don't see what everyone is reacting to. Hmm. I think there's good parts of it. I think there's some confusing parts of it, not in terms of, like, I didn't understand what happened, but in terms of, like, why did they choose to shoot this scene this way? I like the I like the actress. I like Amber Midthunder. Uh, I think she's great. She's great. Yeah, she's um, fantastic. I, li- I like the new I like the new Predator design. I don't think it's as amazing as everyone thinks it is. I I am quite partial to the original Predator design myself, but this one's good too. Um, I like the way that it ties into the others, uh, with like the the gun being the same gun that uh, the Predators give Danny Glover in uh, two. Like that's a fun detail. I don't remember that at all. I, it, while while we're stopped and detracted on on the topic of Predator, I, like having rewatched all of the Predators now because I hadn't watched them in a long time, I'm kind of surprised that they they aren't as good as I remember. Uh, they they have nice moments in them, but they're surprisingly kind of slow for what they are. Um, and and yeah, they're they're weird movies. Some of them definitely hold up better than others. Um. Yeah, I haven't seen two. Two we, takes we, place. Two takes place in Los Angeles, right? Yes, in the far distant future of uh, 1998, I believe. Ah, who who who's that? I remember uh, Maria Conchito Alonso's in that, and uh, who else is in it? Danny Glover, you said. Yeah. Oh, uh, Gary Busey's in it actually. Oh, as, no. a, as like an FBI. 
Yeah, it's not a big role for him. <laughs> but he, in terms of people that I recognize, um, there's there is was a young actor in it who died shortly. Like I can't remember who, what you would have seen him in, but I think he was like an up and coming actor who did, was not long for the world. I'm looking, I'm looking it up right now. Look at Danny Glover holding that gun. Wow. <clears throat> I mean, I, 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 to me, the, to me, Predator. The thing that is great about Predator is the thing that I like about. Um, oh, Bill Paxton, Ruben Blades, Robert Davi, Adam Baldwin's in it. Oh my gosh. Uh, the, the thing that I hate in in a lot of horror movies and monster movies in general is when a, a monster is so powerful, like a like an omnipotent ghost. I, the, there's a lot of movies, especially like haunted house movies, where there's a ghost or a demon, and you just can't do anything to stop it. It's just mm-hmm. it, it 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 anything you do is immediately futile, and you just have to endure two hours if it's a movie. You just have to endure two hours of these characters being tortured by it. Uh, I love the original Friday the Thirteenth because that main character is so imaginative that like she figures out like okay we're being killed by this guy who invades our dreams and we can't hurt him in our dreams because that's his domain but if i can come up with a plan no, 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 to you, bring you, him you're, from... talk, you're, talk, you're talking about nightmare on elm street not friday the 13th oh i'm sorry the, the, tim i don't know why those those names i i futz them up all the time you're right i am talking about nightmare on elm street I think it's because Freddy sounds like Friday. I think that's actually literally the reason why I do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in Nightmare on Elm Street, so that in that first one, the one that uh, the, the the protagonist is this is this teenage girl, and she comes up with this what I think is a brilliant plan, where she manages to uh, wake herself up while being attacked by Freddy and pull him into the real world using like dream logic it's such a clever idea and and it and it sort of works uh, except uh, and she manages to actually kill freddy in the real world uh and of course the end gives you a little twist where it didn't actually work for which i don't love but i understand why they do it it's fine i still thought it was a a satisfying ending so anyway um and to apply this to predator movies the thing i love about like the first and the second predator movie uh, not that it doesn't happen in other ones it happens in the new one too with prey uh is that like all right the predator is is such an evil motherfucker he's invisible he's got lasers he <laughs> can leap from tree to tree he's got bombs he's got super saws he's incredibly efficient but we figure out how do you kill this creature with superior firepower how do you how do you outsmart right, right, right. this alien hunter and they come up with these really good plans to uh, to to out uh, to outwit the superior enemy, which is, you know, part of the concept of the original Predator, uh, where you know Arnold Schwarzenegger and his crew of people who just are packing these massive guns, and they're just you know they come in and they blow up this uh, th- this military outpost uh, in-, in South America, you know, with their superior firepower, and then each of them is picked off by being with superior firepower. And and the only way to defeat it is by abandoning, you know, your superior technology and, and being clever by being a better hunter, building a better <laughs> trap. Right. So are you saying are you saying the predator is hunting Lynette Tarkington? 
Is that is that where we're going with this with the final girl support group? Well, I th- what I'm saying is that if Grady Hendrix were to write a Predator movie, mm-hmm. uh, it would suck because <laughs> you would be fought. No, like like really though, if he was writing like a remake of the original Predator, Arnold Schwarzenegger would just be chewing his nails the whole time while everyone around him is dying and 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 not even directly from the predator but for like dumb reasons uh and there would be incredibly important things happening off screen that you would never get to see and then in the end the the predator would provide one sentence of explanation of things that would have been extremely important to know uh, and you would be like, wait, did I miss something? Am, am I crazy here? And I'll, I'll, I'll give, I'll give Grady some credit. There would be like two really interesting bits of exposition that would happen that are not dwelt on nearly enough. Uh, or not even exposition, but just ideas in general. There would be one character who would explain like, well, you see what the predator represents is actually uh, man's fear of the unknown. And you go, oh, wait a minute. That's that's kind of cool. I like this kind of shamanistic uh, integration of the horror tropes. That's a fun idea. I wish the book was about that. What was your, what was your, favorite, idea? Uh, what was your favorite idea in this book? I mean, like, like well, I, okay, I, don't even, so I don't even think we need to talk the end or anything else that happens. It, it, I mean, I mean, somebody's targeting these people like there's a bunch of misdirections and then. Lynette finally figures out who it is and and uh well i i disagree i disagree there's not a bunch of misdirections there's like two misdirections okay <laughs> because very early on lynette sus- makes suspect of uh dr carol the psychologist the group psychologist for the final girl support group she's like that's the only person who knows enough about each of us to be picking us off one by one and that is the dominant theory for basically the entire book uh, with like two exceptions um and that's frustrating because we as the we as uh, uh, readers who are astute and genre savvy we already know by the first time she comes to this premise that it's probably not true mm-hmm. because your first suspect is never the one that's just that's just the first thing she doesn't really have a motive we we've established early on that uh, she's kind of a celebrity psychologist because she gets to deal with all the final girls and it doesn't really make sense for her to want to kill them off. She's not going to make any extra money off that. It, it, and and she, as far as we know, she hasn't been driven insane by them. And we do spend some time with the character. And, you know, she's not exactly likable, but she's, I mean, she's extremely likable compared to Lynette, but, like, she's a pretty normal person who doesn't seem to have any kind of she she just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense like right, so right right uh, yeah uh, yeah I, I buy that i buy what you're saying so the first time anyone in the novel proposes a character that is not dr carol as the killer is and this is one of this is i think a cardinal sin when writing a horror or slasher story kind of thing is that we're we're introduced to this character named chrissy and this is like by like the halfway 60% mark in the book that we're introduced to this character. Chrissy. Well, no, no. Chrissy uh, is mentioned earlier, but, but, uh, not brought up. But, on. but in such a fleeting moment, sure. like not, not given any, it, we don't know anything about Chrissy, even by the time that she's brought up and now she's important, we know nothing about her. Well, well, uh, well, and we, we find we, out, we know that she betrayed the group. That, that, that's all we know. We don't know what that means. 
where she, <clears throat> she betrayed the right, right exactly we we don't know what that means and so it's not useful information to us but okay so why is chrissy a suspect well uh lynette's old boyfriend who is uh, an older cop from from her hometown that helped save her from uh her santa claus killer uh and also she was she was having regular sex with even though he's a married man with children by that point um so he he comes in and, and helps lynette uh although i guess that is a bit of a twist i'll grant you because it seems like he's arresting her but actually he helps her even though he doesn't do a very good job of helping her because he does like starve her for like 48 hours and but his, it's, it's kind of a whole well, mess it, it's weird because his excuse is well i thought the car was bugged right and then he gets out of the car and right well a human being uh, well, but he but he's a ter- he is a terrible man on multiple levels. Sure. But I, I'm not going to get into that right now. We, that's fine. Uh, but anyway, he goes. Uh, I don't know about this Dr. Carroll business. However, well, well, but, uh, but the thing I want to say about him though is at least you're like, well, come on, this guy really believes that like there's these notes that have come to light, like all these years later, in the midst of all this other crap going on that show like Lynette was like uh sleeping with her the killer who killed her family and all this stuff like it just came to light now as everything else is happening who like what cop in the right mind would believe this stuff and and well he clearly and doesn't. he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't right he, he knows that that's right but he's also the only character who knows lynette very well at least from a certain point in her life like because he w- he was the character that was closest to lynette right right but he's, he's also trying uh, he's, he's also hoping to profit from this both in terms of fame and monetarily Right. That's really the only reason that he's helping her to begin with. Like he he's not a good person. Um he's not he's not the worst person. He's not a killer. But, but, uh, but he is a he's at least profiteer. He's at least doing something that's understandable. Like like, like when it comes out you're like, "Oh, okay. Like I I like that. Like that gets us out of this sure. hole that we've been dug like where she's in custody being transported back to her hometown." I know. Well, this is your <clears throat> Stockholm syndrome is that you you're taking a character who is you're you're holding this up as like like yeah he's he's one of the better characters in this book in that he isn't complete nonsense I'll, but okay so so who does uh, his name is garrett who does garrett posit as a likely suspect this this woman chrissy why is she a likely suspect because she has been found uh going to all of these uh, these inmates these murdering inmates uh who are part of the super super villain murderer slashers uh and talking to them while they're in prison so okay she's she's suspect now mm-hmm. uh she lives in canada so we have to road trip to canada is to it, go find her is that right she lives in canada yeah, because Lynette was worried about crossing the border. Oh, I forgot. Um, okay, with her with her fake ID. Now, not only not only do we have to go talk to Chrissy in Canada because she's our number one lead, we also have to we also have to go abduct a new girl named Stephanie. This is where Stephanie comes into the the book. latest final girl who who was at the camp when Adrian was killed at Camp Red Lake. Right, and is, so is the so only survivor. She, Right, so as of this week, we have a new, like, 16-year-old final girl, and so Lynette is worried that now she, and she hasn't been worried very much up to this point, it feels like, but but she just gets a wild hair up her ass, like, all right, now I'm gonna have to go save this Stephanie character and bring her to the person that I suspect could be the killer, or at least knows who the killer is. So you asked, what what did I find interesting about this book? I like, I like Chrissy. Because we get to Chrissy's and we don't, I don't think we know what her final girl situation was. Like, we don't know who her serial killer was. Right. 
Um, but she has constructed in her home in like backwoods border Canada, um, basically like a museum of serial killers of these of these super they never give us a goddamn word for it and it's really bothering me like we call them the final girls but we don't call them the final monsters or anything well what we, we call them and, we, we just call them killers but but like uh like chrissy deals in and collects murderabilia right right <clears throat> and so the entire time we are with chrissy she is clearly batshit crazy oh, i know what the they're, way called. She they're, talks they're called to... they're called the monsters they're called they're called monsters they are called monsters i know but that's a bad Is we it... need a better word for it okay it's well it's just kind of it's not enough i i i need a comic book name oh. i need them to be called the <laughs> the revengers or something all right it's fine all right so um but the way chrissy talks is this is the thing that i liked in this book was she has this Jungian Joseph Campbell kind of assessment of, of and the, which is not an endorsement. Don't don't whatever. This is uh, she takes the the story of the serial killer of the monster who who is murdering all of the teenagers. It's very much like um, Cabin in the Woods, if you're familiar with that movie. Where she, you know, she says that they, they, these, these monsters, they, they are psychologically frustrated, and so they go kill the, the, um, the anima that they consider weaknesses in themselves, the jock, the stoner, oh, right, the slut, right, 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 yeah, the virgin, uh, but, but they, but you can't kill the final girl, uh, because she is. Uh, everything she she is the part of yourself that cannot be killed and she has to then kill her monster in which if you're familiar with joseph campbell uh kind of writing like she she conquers the the ultimate evil and in in a sense consumes it as well uniting the yin and the yang the the animus and the anima the male and the female the the dark and the light uh, and coming out of it, you know, a stronger, better person on the other side. Right. Which, of course, you know, Lynette is hearing this and being a victim of this, you know, awfulness. She goes, you're crazy. Like, this is all craziness. This doesn't make any actual sense. But it's funny because Chrissy, like, is basically self-aware that she's a character in a book almost. Um, because, like, at one point, Lynette asks her, like, well, what is your role in all of this? You're, like... You're, you're telling me that I'm the final girl of final girls, that I am the, the ur-victim who will be triumphant, uh, but, like, wh what are you? Aren't you a final girl? And, and uh, Chrissy says, well, oh, I'm the, I'm the one with sage advice. I am the, right, the helper right, along right, the right. way. And, and which, which is literally true in the case of this novel, is that she is sort of providing uh, assistance in, in a way that none of the other characters are. And she is the one who is doing some amount of explaining, not all of which is actually helpful or even true necessarily, but right, it, right, right. It, it, it provides a cute meta narrative function that I respond well to that I, that I thought was cute in this book. And I actually thought that like a little Jungian psycho psychoanalysis of the slasher, a story was basically more interesting than anything that actually happened in this book um because it i think if the book had actually stuck to that a little bit better you know it's one of those things of like why do stories utilize tropes one of the problems that i have with like we we're given this cast of the final girls and the only way in which they really matter to us is their relationship to 
the real world story franchises of Friday the 13th, uh, 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 Scream, you know, I, I can't name all of them right now, but, um, for, for those of you wondering, I got COVID a second time, uh, which is why my voice is all husky and, and my brain's even worse. I'm only going to deteriorate from here on out, people. <laughs> I am, uh, I am a talking zombie. Anyway, um... The, the, these are really the only th ways these characters matter to us that like they well, exist in they're not very well fleshed out characters to begin with like heather has three things that are of note about her one is that she's supposed to be the girl from uh nightmare on elm street two she is a drug addict that and we're constantly mocking her for being a drug addict which isn't cool uh and three she's just kind of a, a mean-spirited person in general like right, those right. that's all we know about her she doesn't have a character beyond that does she need a character beyond that i'm not saying that she does but i don't particularly enjoy the character that they've given us either um well, well but, but but chrissy the other thing about chrissy that you're you're skipping is that chrissy lives with the killer her killer somehow and uh well, it's well, it's a killer. I don't know that it's her killer. I think I think it is. I think we're supposed to believe it's her killer, and that's the betrayal, the final girl's betrayal. Like she lives with her killer, who's somehow there, who's this kind of just hulking, nonverbal presence. That uh, I mean, ultimately, like Lynette seems to abandon Stephanie to them because they want to kill Stephanie, and they're going to let Lynette go. And then Lynette again does the right thing and comes back in and saves Stephanie, and in kind of a spectacular scene, I have to say. Uh, right. So I, I, I would like to talk about this next part where so so Stephanie is this character that is it's bizarre because, OK, so we get into sort of the final lap of this novel. We I have to say, I, know find, that, I find myself not quite want to talk about the end because I don't know how to talk well, about it. But. Well, it frustrates me, and I do want to talk about it, right. but we don't have to talk about every individual thing. But what I want to talk about is that, so we're, we're finally given a viable candidate for who the serial killer is, and it turns out that it's uh, Dr. Carroll's son, Skye, who's like a 26-year-old, and his motive is just that he doesn't like that his mom works with these women, and he's just kind of a shitty dude in general. And so he comes up with this plan to murder all of them. And sure, he he has the access to information about these women, and he has enough of a motive. I think I think it's a pretty lame motive, but at this point in the novel, I I am accepting that it's enough of a motive that you know. Well, based on sure, based he, on of all things, a comic book written and drawn by the younger kid <laughs> um, right <laughs> th th that shows that shows uh, sky saying some murderous things and, and that is that is all the evidence Lynette needs and it turns out you know it's, it's at least partially correct so I guess comics right. I guess it, somebody writing horror comics is a killer but or appearing in horror comics well <laughs> this is frustrating for multiple reasons because yeah it's it is it's extremely dumb everything about it is dumb it's both dumb that like I, I'm mad at the book because so the the grand killer of killers of this whole story is just kind of this random guy who it we spend some time with him like we do spend a little bit of time with him the <clears throat> time that we spend with him do, we really don't learn anything interesting about him we learn enough that it makes it makes literal plausible sense that he is able to do the things that he's doing but not enough that like like we don't learn really why his motives are sound and we don't really get it, 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 it 
it it adds up only in that it is plausibly acceptable not in that it is satisfactory it's not satisfactory in any way that's really funny so when when we read the comic book because we get the comic book very early on and we don't read it when lynette finally reads it and it basically just says in giant crayon sky's the killer sky's the killer you want you want to get sky like you're like okay sky's the killer the the book is telling us in no small uncertain terms and at this point are we've got Lynette and we've got Stephanie Fugati, the the sixteen year old, the recent final girl. I think they've got and they got Stephanie. Dan, they got Danny out of jail now too. Somehow I can't remember. Um, not yet. Well, Danny might be out of jail, but we haven't gotten her. Whatever. That's that's another thing. I don't care about that right now. So, but Stephanie is reacting to Lynette saying. Sky's the killer. We have to. We know where Sky is. We can. We can start doing things. Da da da. And Stephanie says, "Yeah, I don't know. I think this comic book is uh, not great evidence. I think. I think. I think you're being silly again. Um, only to reveal that that once we get in a. I think it's once we get Danny, uh, and we get some guns. Uh, we realize Stephanie Fugati, a character who has spent this entire book not actually being important almost at all." that that she is also evil and she uh i think shoots danny and she shoots lynette and and she's like i think all of you final girls are weak and like she starts going on a comic book right, like villain right, speech right, 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 right. that just like totally like out of nowhere and this was the point where i was like okay so does this mean sky isn't the killer because we were told that that it was silly to think that the comic book was accurate, but also it's at one of the only leads that it does make actual little sense. And at this point, we know so little about this Stephanie character that you're like, is it going to be revealed that like she's the that she's related to somebody important or and and so what it what it what it all turns into in just a, a just a complete mishmash is that okay so all along Sky was the mastermind Sky. Sky, the son of the therapist, is the person who's trying to track down all the final girls and kill them. Was Sky the mastermind or was uh, Stephanie the mastermind? Well, no. So Sky is the mastermind, but she, but Sky is friends with Stephanie Fugati, who is going to Camp Red Lake, which is the camp where mm-hmm. Adrian Adrian owns and operates, and was once the site of her horrific murder scene. Uh, and and so Stephanie is is basically co-murderer they, they, i would say they're of equal importance for the most part no, well i yeah, fine. whatever I, co- uh, I like co-murderer i just i just like that co-murderer. that's good put that on your resume she's she's basically co-murderer she, so the, this whole ball started rolling because uh she somehow she, she contacted a relative of the original camp red lake murderer and and got him to come do some more murders and kills adrian at the very beginning which is sort of the initial thing that we're this is part of the thing that i'm mad about we as the audience were not there for we didn't get to see that we were told about it after the fact and provided honestly not enough information it's it's a lot like a scooby-doo episode the the, (laughs) scooby-doo episode is 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 when the story is done correctly because what scooby-doo does well is that you know, before the theme song song starts, you see a guy getting haunted by the pterodactyl ghost or whatever. You see that happening, even though the Scooby-Doo gang isn't there. You see that happen. Then the Scooby-Doo gang shows up after the theme song, 
the the people in the town explain you know we have one person who says oh the pterodactyl ghost keeps attacking my bakery and i can't sell my muffins <laughs> and 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 then you meet like three people who might be the pterodactyl ghost oh well yeah there's the janitor he hates he doesn't he's never liked these muffins to begin with and then there's my my aunt who wants to inherit all my money after i've been murdered and then there's the kid across the street who you know thinks that muffins are evil and it turns out it was the janitor but at least we were given we we were given something to work with by god well, 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 not well, only I, I think that's why this board is on literary because it doesn't it doesn't <clears throat> quite do all those clumsy things and it doesn't it doesn't do the thing the, that a uh but that's not clumsy that's efficient like what i'm saying is that Sco scooby-doo isn't clumsy scooby-doo i mean i don't think you can is... i don't think you can criticize this this book for not being a scooby-doo episode you know what i mean no, but what? It, well, I can criticize it for not being a lot of things, but but the the problem is is that it's it's not a gotcha. It's it's not clever when when Stephanie Fugati uh, turns out to be evil. Nor is it clever when Sky turns out to be evil because they're cardboard cutouts. They're barely well, anything I, I don't, to begin. I, with. I don't think the book is 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 even trying to be clever at that point. It's just trying to hold the form because there has to be some kind of reversal. It can't be Doctor Carroll, right? It, it, but if you were going to hold the form, then you would want to be a Scooby-Doo episode. You, th this I, I, is—I uh... mean, I mean, fair enough, fair enough, because that's how Scream works, and that's probably the most recent one of these things I've seen. Right? It, you know, it, it's well, it's fine. But but th there's a lot of right that like other horror movies like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street has the thing where nobody can really face what's happening. Like they can't accept the reality of it for a while. I I, I don't know. It's, I, it, the the idea of the idea of the meta slasher movie Scream is a great example. Scream you know was from what 2001 it was already a meta it is a meta slasher movie. Yeah, yeah. good enough uh but e e even even more recently that cabin in the woods is extremely it, it like it is even more meta than scream is well, i think about about these movies in general i think what's funny is this didn't invoke fear in me either like like which is fine but like slasher movies yeah typically have some some fear it, it, it's just a it's just a weird mix of things that just did not not work for me you know and well it, that that to me is actually is also one of the huge sins of this book is that it's not even having fun with the premise like so if 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 i got an advance from a publisher to write a slasher movie book you bet that i am going to just make a massive list of like really gruesome fun kill scenes right where it's like oh yeah someone gets put put in a sausage machine and gets made into sausage somebody gets trampled by like a pangolin i don't know I, like but, some kind of crazy but I'm animal i'm telling you i'm telling you the book is avoiding that in an attempt to be classed outside of the horror genre and, and I, I think it succeeds in that like like i think i think a lot of um I'm going to say smart readers, like like mainstream fiction readers, would pick this up and just be astounded because they haven't read a horror novel in a long time. And this kind of meets them halfway. And, and so I can see why this was a bestseller. I can see why this book was popular. But I but I just can't, I can't generate any sympathy for anybody in this book at all. It's, it's bizarre. N nor can I. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm frustrated to no end by the idea that, oh, this book doesn't have any of the fun imaginative exciting elements that a that a horror movie would have that we deem to be of somehow you know less artistic merit perhaps because it is for a plebeian audience <laughs> but be, but because it doesn't have any of the fun imaginative gruesome elements 
and, and is therefore like extremely milk toast by design. Well, I think, I think it is I think somehow it's... worth more artistic merit, no, no, and no, no, that no, no, I, no, no. I find. I I, I, I I don't think it's worth more. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying, but but I, but I think it's I think it's it's able to be marketed as more than that, and I I, I think I think maybe it does rise. I mean, I mean, it is something. It is something different from that, right? It, it's not. It's not that straightforward. It's not efficient. Like, is it literary? I don't know. Could it be marketed as literary? Yes, I think so. I think it was. I think that's why it succeeded with, with its audience as far as it did. Um, I don't. I just well, I I I I don't like the the term literary in general. Like, I think I've said this multiple points on the podcast because, like, at, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean a lot except that you just want your book to be read by i agree the same people who read the new yorker i agree and and that frustrates me because it's like yeah you know a lot of people read the new yorker there's nothing stopping those people from also enjoying a marvel movie every once in a while sure sure um, sure sure. but 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 a lot of that has to do with how how the audience sees itself and, and how the audience will allow itself to be marketed to like they might they might have all watched uh, Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street, and I think this book makes a bet on that, right? Like, I bet you're interested in this. Maybe you haven't thought about these books you liked as a teenager for a long time. Here, let's recall this together. Here's a little bit more of a, of a, for lack of a better term, a literary take on this. You know, um, let's let's march down this way, and maybe, you know, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like, I like I like myself a, a few New Yorker short stories a year, but I wouldn't say they evoke a lot of. Um, identification with the protagonists either you know what i mean it, it it's also just extremely confusing to me because it's like okay if you want to take the 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 greatest liter the, the greatest horror novelist uh, of our time it's it's stephen king stephen king who wrote literally hundreds of extremely popular populist horror novels that all got on the New York Times bestseller list, that all sold like hotcakes, that have been adapted multiple times, which, by his own admission, in terms of inspiration and style, are, you know, takes on EC horror comics, that are takes on Tales from the Crypt. Sure, sure. Right? Like, which is itself plebeian you know horror for the populist masses but is not but but is does not necessarily mean that it is low quality like the the idea it it is accessible is what it is and it and it is meant to be uh gruesome it is meant to sure. be provocative it is it is meant to catch your eye and to like it, it frustrates me because like Stephen King, you may not like Stephen King as an author. I'm I'm conflicted on him to be perfectly <laughs> honest, uh, and not because I think he's like a bad guy or anything. I, I think he's actually probably a pretty good guy, mm -hmm. but in terms of like whether or not I even like his books one way or another, um, but you can't deny like the massive influence and and significance that the man's writing has had on not even just horror novels, but on just like publishing in this country and in this e epoch. Yeah, yeah uh in general and like it just frustrates me so much to think that like the the existence of this book and and having like this mindset that you can write a literary book that doesn't do a very good job of being a horror novel but is about horror in general uh and 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 if someone could consider this like a success if someone could consider that that what it has accomplished is is a meaningful landmark on the face of literature um but like 
you would have to do so in such a way that would ignore like like you have to engage in kind of mental gymnastics in which well, like Stephen King didn't write a billion like really successful horror books in which a, a, a psychic space clown <laughs> you know murders a bunch of kids well, well but, but like but, but this book this book is just is just not as straightforward as that and i think i think in being a little bit more it evasive, is not it, a straightforward book no 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 but, but i think in being a little bit more evasive it's it, like people like books that that come at things a little bit more sideways it's 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 a little uh, weird to me that that people prefer that, but sometimes it works for me too. So I don't know. I you know I, it just didn't work here for me, and uh, I don't know. I I don't want to talk I, about this anymore. I've had enough. I've had enough. Okay. Love. Okay. That no. Mercy. I think I think we've said. I've said my piece. Okay. I, uh, clearly, I didn't like this book. It sounds like you didn't like it either. I I, I didn't um, I didn't like it. I, but I can I can see why some people do. And I you know I mean I I don't know what I would recommend to anybody who came to me and said I want another book like this. I I'm gonna have to sit on that for a while. Well, well, something I want to I want to bring this up because um, you texted me uh, a few days ago. You texted me some list that was like the best, the top twenty five sci- science fiction and science fantasy books uh, of the new millennium, right? Mm-hmm. Since since the year two thousand onward, and so there's twenty five books on this list. I, I think a couple of which we've read for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, several, yeah. And, and you know, I saw a couple of names on the list where I went, "Oh yeah, absolutely!" Like "American Gods" by Neil Gaiman was on that list, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's absolutely one of the best SF that uh, I've ever read." Um, and then on that same list was "The Empress of Salt and Fortune," which we just did in our last episode, and I I couldn't imagine who this author was that they put both of these. Like, I understand that that book won the Hugo. That's fine, but like. I, I just read it. It's a, the you can summarize that book in about three sentences. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's it's a <laughs> but, but 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 if you're looking you, like when you're putting together a list like that, you're looking for breadth of style and uh, content as well. And I can see I can see why it ends up on there because it's it's a huge award winner and it was it was a bestseller and it's it's immensely popular. Well, I mean I mean it may not have hit for you, you know. I mean I'm I'm curious about the next one and I think it's short, so I think I'll probably read it at some point, but. Oh, and if you have a book that you think we should read for the podcast, which you you should start writing an email right now, <laughs> sent to bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com. Right. Uh, otherwise, uh, keep reading and keep stabbing.